0: Pastor Paul Boyer and the congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from the Scriptures will better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's listen to Pastor Paul as we study the Word together.
1: Pastor John, since he's out of town, asked me to preach today, um, and it's April 1st, April Fool's Day. So don't read don't don't read too much into this. All right, he was afraid to ask him to preach because there's no telling what would happen today. So I'm going to keep it I'm going to keep it uh, keep it kind of serious here. Actually, what I'm talking about today is and it's no joking matter. There's a lot to be thankful for about what happened 2,000 years ago this week. There's nothing to laugh at. There was nothing in there that was funny. We're going to talk about some very deep and serious stuff today. We're going to talk about what God has done for us out of his compassion. And I have to apologize to you up front. My sermon today is going to take you to a very, very dark place. And it's going to leave you there. Because next week, guess what happens? The stone rolls away and the light is back. So today I'm going to take you to a very I'm going to take you to a hole in the ground. I'm going to take you to a grave. And we're going to leave we're going to leave it there. Now I'm doing that deliberately. I'm doing that because I want you to think about this week. I'm doing that because I want you to to have that compassion burned on your heart today. But know that Easter's coming. Easter is coming. Look at our world today. We're dark. We're in the tomb. The stone has been rolled across the entrance. It's dark and cold. But praise the Lord, Easter's coming. Easter is coming. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this beautiful day. We thank you for the time that you've given us to gather together in your name to study your word and declare your truth. We thank you for what this week represents because without this week, Jesus is nothing but a wise prophet. Without this week, there's no salvation from our sin, there's no triumph over death. Without this week, all that we stand for would be nothing. So, Lord, we ask that you be with us today, that you open our hearts and the minds of all that hear what I have to say this morning. And, Lord, I pray that these words are yours and not mine. As I labored over this sermon this week, I prayed continually for you to enlighten me. And I pray that this is the result of the Holy Spirit working in my heart to share your word with your people. So, Lord, I ask you to be with us and guide us this morning. Your blessings on this service. In Jesus' name. Amen. Title of the sermon this morning is Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. And I'm going to take you back a couple of thousand years in history to to the deserts of Judea. I'm going to take you back to to the wilderness side of the Jordan River. And there was a man. There was a man called John who was preparing the way for the Son of God. He lived in the desert, he ate locusts and honey, and he preached the coming of the Messiah. Now, many thought he was crazy. Many more thought he was a prophet, declaring the coming of the king. Many were offended by what he had to say. John had, in in the book of John, in chapter 1, we read about John the Baptist, in a confrontation that he had with the Pharisees and the, and the scribes and the leaders of the, of the church, the religious elite. Soon thereafter, Jesus approaches. And John looks up from his baptisms. He pulls a man from the water and he looks in the distance and he sees Jesus. And this is what he said. John 29 said, The next day John seeth Jesus coming on to him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb of God. At that moment, the ministry of Jesus Christ began. At that moment, behold the Lamb of God. John recognized him for who he was. Keep that thought. I'm going to take you 1,500 years back into history from there. I'm going to take you back to the, to the Exodus, to the point where the, where the people of, of, of God had been in bondage in Egypt for over 400 years, to a point where they cried out under their travail, and they cried out to God, and they cried out for rescue, and God heard their cry. And he brought Moses back from the desert of Midian. He brought him, Moses, that that son of Pharaoh. He brought him back to Egypt with one mission. To call his people out. To call his people out. To move his people back to the promised land. That was Moses' mission. Over the course of 12 chapters in the book of Exodus, 1 through 12, God calls his people out. And to demonstrate his glory, he calls upon the Egyptians ten plagues, ten examples of his glory. He turned the water into blood. He brought a rain of frogs, so they inhabited the whole land. And the scripture even says there were frogs in your mixing bowl. He brought a plague of gnats. He brought a plague of flies. He brought a plague of death of the livestock. He brought a a plague of boils and of hail and of locusts and of darkness. The first nine were to demonstrate the glory of God and to change the heart of Pharaoh. The first nine were to directly refute the claims of the Egyptian gods to deity and power. The first nine got their attention. But the one that I want to speak about Is number 10. Number 10 is death of the firstborn. Because in number 10, the lamb is slain. In Exodus 11, verses 4 through 8, it says So Moses said, This is what Yahweh says About midnight I will go throughout Egypt, and every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die. From the firstborn of the Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the firstborn of the servant girl. Who is behind the millstones, as well as every firstborn of the livestock. There will be a great cry of anguish through all the land of Egypt, such as never been heard before or ever will be again. But against all the Israelites, whether man or beast, not even a dog will snarl. So you may know that Yahweh makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come down to me and bow before me, saying, leave. You and all the people will follow you. And after that, I will leave. And he left Pharaoh's presence in fierce anger. See, God had passed judgment on Egypt. His wrath had come. His glory was demonstrated. All the firstborn shall die. But God made provision for his people. God said in Exodus 12, 1 through 13, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's household. One animal per household. If the household is too small for a whole animal, that person and the neighbor nearest his house are to select one based on the combined number of people. You will apportion the animal according to what each person will eat. You must have an unblemished, unblemished animal, a year-old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it till the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. You must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of your houses where you are to eat them. You are to take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses where you are to eat them. Scripture tells us that they used a hyssop plant. A hyssop is just a, a leafy bush. They took the blood and they put it on the lintels and the doorposts of their homes. So let's think about that a minute. Let's picture in your mind and, and, and do it with me. You take your blood. And you put the branch in the blood. Okay, everybody ready? Let's do it together. You paint the blood on the doorpost and the lintels of your home. What did we just do? We made the sign of the cross. We painted the cross on the, door, on the doors of their home. We took the blood of the slain lamb. And we placed it on the doorpost and the two lintels of the home. We've made the sign of the cross in blood the sacrificial blood of the lamb. They are to eat the meat that night they should eat it roasted over a fire along with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Do not eat any of, it, any of it raw or cooked in boiling water but only roasted over fire, its head as well as its legs and inner organs. Do not let any remain until morning. you must burn up any part of it that does remain before morning. Here is how you must eat it. you will be dressed for travel. Sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry, for this is the Lord's Passover. Verse 12, it says, I will pass through the land of Egypt on on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. I am Yahweh. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on the houses where you're staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will come among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. That is the lamb that John saw. The lamb whose blood would save. The lamb that died so Israel could live. The Passover feast was ordained by God to remember that night. The night that he passed over. The angel of death passed over the people of God. And he showed the world they were his. 1,500 years later, 1,500 years of Levitical sacrifices and the death of millions of lambs, a new lamb of God had appeared. John recognized him for who he was and proclaimed it. The lamb of God was among men. The proclamation of the messianic vision of John, followed by the baptism of Jesus, stand out like an exclamation point on the narrative of human history. This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is the beginning of the end for the first chapter of humanity. Chapter 2 had begun. Now fast forward from there three and a half years. Jesus had chosen the twelve, including the one who would betray him. The dead had been raised, the sick had been made well, the water had been turned into wine, the multitude fed with fish and bread and with the word of God. Jesus had preached with authority, with the authority of God himself. He lived with and poured his life into and prayed with and for the twelve. And he created in them the seed of the church that would soon be established. He declared himself to be God. He declared himself to be equal with the Father. And he he shattered the man-made, man-centered rules of the religious elite. And by doing so, he set the stage of his own death. Just as God had envisioned before the beginning of time. But the time had now come. A new Passover was here. When Jesus, like all Jews, made his pilgrimage to, Jerusalem, our pilgrimage to Jerusalem that spring day, he knew that the spirit of death waited in there. The first part of his mission was complete. It was now time to complete the second part. See, Jesus had been to Jerusalem many times. He'd been to Jerusalem as a child and as a young man and as a rabbi and as a teacher. But this time was different. This time he came to Jerusalem as a king. This time he declared to the world, the Messiah has come. And he was here to claim his throne. Today's Palm Sunday. This is the day that begins what came to be known as Holy Week. Jesus entered the city as the rightful ruler of God's people. And he no longer restrained his condemnation for the religious elite. Until now, he'd avoided conflict when he could. But this time, this time was different. Before his time had not yet come, now in the fullness of time, he came seeking confrontation He called them vipers and hypocrites and whitewashed tombs. He threw out the money changers, and he delivered his most poignant and cutting sermons. All of these were sealing his fate. Thursday evening arrived, and the Passover feast was laid out in the upper room. Jesus and the twelve gathered at the appointed time to celebrate the goodness of God's redemption. The Seder... The Seder, the orderly, the ritual was interrupted. Overhearing an argument amongst them, Jesus washed the feet of the disciples, including his betrayer. The betrayer was revealed and fled, leaving eleven. Then, something truly remarkable. At this point in the service, we're going to enter into our communion service. We reserve communion services for very special occasions. We don't take this lightly. The communion service that in our narrative Jesus is about to initiate is a remembrance of the second Passover. It's a remembrance of what Jesus has done for us. It's the remembrance of his broken body and has spilled blood for the redemption, our redemption, and for forgiveness of sin. So we don't take communion lightly. We typically do it on the fifth Sunday of the month or on special occasions. This qualifies as a special occasion the week before Easter. We at Victory Church open, we we, we uh, celebrate communion and we offer open communion that means is anyone who is a member of the larger church don't have to be a member of victory church you just have to be one of his is welcome to join us in communion i like you all just to hold the bread until we're all in place and then we'll we'll take it together let's pray dear lord and heavenly father we enter into a solemn time solid time of worship and reflection. As we take this communion, we ask that you open our hearts to anything dwelling within. Shine your bright light into any dark places. Scriptures tell us to examine ourselves before coming to your table. And if all is not right with our brother, we should make it right before approaching and taking part in your communion. So I pray, Lord, that we take a few moments to examine ourselves. Make sure, first of all, that we are one of yours. Make sure that we've called on your name and accepted you as our Lord and Savior. And if we have any unrepentant sin, this is the moment to repent. Offer that up to you and ask for forgiveness. Lord, we thank you for this bread and for this wine. We thank you for what this represents, the broken body and the blood you shed. We ask that you bless it, bless this service, and bless it upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. It says in Luke chapter 22, When the hour came, he reclined at the table with the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with, with you before I suffer, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it has been fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup, and, he gave, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I tell you, From now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took bread. He gave thanks. He broke it. And he gave it to them and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. This new covenant that Jesus spoke of, this new covenant, chapter 3, in the timeline, in the story of mankind. Chapter 3, the new covenant had begun. After the Last Supper, Jesus and his men moved to the Garden of Gethsemane, the olive press. The disciples slept and Jesus wept and prayed and sweat blood. Before surrendering to God's will, he was betrayed by a kiss and led away like a common criminal. He would be beaten and mocked and spat on. He would undergo six trials, all of them illegal and all of them invalid. Peter had denied knowing him, and his followers have scattered. He was scourged by the Romans. Do we know what that means? You know what it means to be scourged, especially by the Romans? The Romans were experts in inflicting pain. The Romans knew how to rule with hobnailed boots. To be scourged by the Romans meant he was beaten with a whip of multiple tails, multiple strands. Studded on to that whip were barbs. And pieces of jagged metal. And at the ends were hooks. Jesus was stripped naked and, and, and draped over a stump. And he was beaten. He was beaten so severely that he was unrecognizable as a man. That Roman soldier drove those spikes into his back and pulled those hooks out ripping off chunks of flesh as it came, until his ribs and his backbone were exposed. He's losing tremendous amounts of blood. He's in shock from the trauma and the blood loss. He's beaten and mocked. A crown of thorns is driven onto his head, blood sheeting down his face, dripping off his beard. Running through his eyes, he's taken before his own people. The very people who had a few days before welcomed him as king and shouted "Hosanna and laid palm fronds at his feet are now yelling, "Crucify him!" It's not enough that you've beaten an innocent man nearly to death. It's not enough. The bloodlust was up. They said, "Crucify him!" He's been rejected by his own people. A criminal was, was released and an innocent lamb was condemned to die. He was ridiculed. All hailed the king of the Jews. He was forced to carry his own cross, the implement of his destruction to Golgotha, the place of the, place of the skull. He was weak from blood loss and trauma. As he staggered under the weight of the heavy beam, he fell and he struggled until a man named Simon was forced to help him. At about nine in the morning, when Jesus was stripped naked and laid down across those rough-hewn beams, his arms were stretched out and Roman nails were driven through his hands or his wrists. Do something with me, just for a second. Take your thumb Put it right there, just below the bones in your wrist, right there in that junction, and press. Feel the pain? If you're doing it right, you're pressing on that ganglion nerve. It goes into your hands, it gives you the feeling to your fingers and down your forearm. Feel the pain? Could you imagine a half inch diameter spike being driven through that spot? It's excruciating. His legs were bent upward, knees toward his chest, and nailed into place, either one on top of the other or separately along the sides of the upright beam. A cruel, mocking sign was fastened above his head, declaring, This is the King of the Jews. They just didn't know how right they were. The cross with Jesus on it was raised up and dropped with a thump into a hole in the ground. The impact and the strain of supporting the body would have separated the shoulder joints. The pain was beyond imagination. In fact, a new word had to be created to describe it. That's what excruciating means. The pain of the cross. He was placed between two common criminals. One accepted him. One did not. One was promised paradise. And the other was left to judgment. He hung there. Struggling to breathe. Writhing in agony. While his followers hid. All but John. Who was there with Jesus' mother and some of the other women. Roman soldiers cast lots for his bloody clothing. About noon darkness covered the land. And the earth shook. And the mockers. And the accusers fled. About three in the afternoon, the end was near. Up until this point, Jesus had made five utterances from the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As they nailed him to the tree. He said, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. To the criminal that recognized him. Woman, behold your son, behold your mother. He said as he put his loving mother into the care of John, his only remaining disciple. He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As the sin of the world was placed on his broken shoulders. He cried out, I thirst. And they gave him vinegar to drink. And then he said, It is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then he died. And the earth shook. And the curtain in the temple that separated God from his people was torn from the top to the bottom. The Son of God was dead. What does all this mean? In John chapter 1, it says there was a man named John who, went for, who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify, testify about the light. So that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light who gives light to everyone has come into the world. You see, the the light of God had come into the world, but darkness had killed him. The men he came to save had tortured and killed him. When they came to finish the execution, they found he was already dead. They stabbed him in the side to make sure. They took him from the cross that was intended for someone else. It was a borrowed cross, and they laid him in a borrowed tomb, and they rolled a stone across the entrance, plunging the light into darkness forever. Or so they thought. This was the second Passover. The Lamb of God had been slain. The second Passover had come. The perfect Lamb of God without spot or sin had been slain for the redemption of God's people. This time, though, it was not to free the people from bondage in Egypt, but it was to free us from bondage to sin. This Passover did not come to cause the spirit of death to pass over the firstborn of Israel, but to cause the spirit of death and sin to pass over the firstborn of all creation. You and me. Jesus died not only to redeem the Jews, but to redeem all mankind. The first Passover was merely a type, a shadow of the Passover to come. The first Passover was a one-time event, a punctuation mark in the narrative of history. The second Passover is an ongoing redemption that will cause the spirit of death and sin to pass over all that believe and accept the sacrifice of the Lamb. Until he returns for his church. When Jesus said it is finished it was. Death and bondage was finished. The price of sin had been paid. The ones that nailed him to the cross and all the people on earth before and after that moment. Had been forgiven and redeemed and that means me. And that means you. His cry it is finished was the end of the world as it was. And the beginning of a new world. One in which sin no longer ruled. One in which men and women could be released from bondage to sin and death by a simple act of faith in the Lamb that was slain. That moment became the focal point of the history of all mankind. Everything before that time looks forward to the cross. Everything after that moment looks back at the cross. The cross is in the middle of it all. and the center of God's will and plan. The lamb was slain for you. The question is, what will you do about it? God created you and I with the ability to choose. We can choose to stay as we are at birth, lost in sin and doomed to death. Or we can choose to accept the free gift that was offered. We can take it or we can turn away. Accept the gift or not. This is the most important decision of your life. What will you do? Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world has come. Will you come to him? Let's pray. Lord, this is a very dark place. We're in the middle in this narrative of your plan. Two things happened that Easter week. One was triumph over, over sin. The other is triumph over death. This week, this, this part of the narrative has taken us to the very darkest place. Where your light has been extinguished, or so they thought. Where sin had won, or so they thought. The reality is different. The reality is that sin had been vanquished when Jesus said, It is finished. Sin was done. It no longer ruled. It no longer holds sway over us. We continue to battle, but the war has been won. By the blood of your son. I ask, Lord, that you bring home to those of us that have already called on your name the truth of that. So that we can have the full weight of that redemption. So that we can see just a little bit this week of what your son went through. And what it meant to be the Lamb of God. Remind us again of the sacrifice of your son for the redemption of our sin. And the joy that we have through him. I ask, Lord, if there are any among us who don't know you, have not redeemed, have been redeemed. They don't know the glory. They don't know the joy. They don't know your son. That today would be the day that the Holy Spirit works on their heart brings them to a full realization of their position as sinners in need of a Savior. And calling out to the Lamb of God to be that Savior. They no longer need to be under the yoke of sin. They no longer need to be in fear of death. Because the Lamb has come. The Passover has happened. The spirit of death has moved over God's people. So I ask, Lord, that you work on the hearts of anyone who is here that's heard this message that needs you. That this would be the time that they do business with you. They don't have to come forward. They don't have to make a public proclamation. All they have to do is pray a prayer. Something like, God, I understand who I am. I'm a lost and dying sinner in need of redemption. and in, in need of a Savior. I ask you, Lord, I ask Jesus Christ to come into my heart and be that Savior. It's as simple as that. So I ask, Lord, that if anyone needs to pray, that they come forward. If anyone needs to rededicate, that they come forward. Or they can do business right where they are. Because ultimately, it's between you and them. I pray all this. And I pray that this week has special meaning in all who call on your name pray all this in the name of your son, the son that was slain, Jesus Christ. Amen.
0: Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life, if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with, or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. That's victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can call, email, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109 in O'Fallon, Illinois. Or come check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.